this condition. The condition? That's my memory. Amnesia. No, 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 no. It's different from that. What? Since my injury, I can't make new memories. Everything fades. If we talk for too long, I'll forget how we started. Next time I see you, I'm not going to remember this conversation. Lenny! I guess I've already told you about my condition. Oh, well, only every time I see you. I can't make new memories. It's like waking. It's like you just woke up. When you find this guy, what are you going to do? I'm going to kill him. Maybe I can help you find him. Are you sure you want this? My wife deserves vengeance. Do not trust her. She's going to use you to protect yourself. I think someone's been trying to get me to kill the wrong guy. You can question everything. You can never know anything for sure. Teddy, don't believe his lies. You wander around playing detective. Well, maybe you should start investigating yourself. Who did this to you? You did. I want my life back! Why are you asking me? I can't remember what I've done. I have no short-term memory. Since my injury, I can't make new memories. Everything fades. If we talk for too long, I'll forget how we started. Next time I see you, I'm not going to remember this conversation. Hey everyone, welcome back to Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? This week we continue our exploration into the director Christopher Nolan and with the film Memento. Here with me as always is my uh, co-host and friend Josh Page. Thank you, that was a lovely, charming introduction. I'm absolutely flattered. My years of listening to podcasts are finally paying off. It's. I think we're getting better each episode we do. You know, it's just gonna... We're just going to smooth this thing out until we start, we talk like, uh, you know, cartoonish radio DJs, you know, um, and we get those smooth uh, cigarette smoking voices, you know. Talking about smoothing things over here, you know, who needs to smooth things over? AMC and Universal. I know uh, this may be old news by the time this episode uh, drops, but right now it's very prevalent. Uh, yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> I saw you had told me about it, but um, um Apparently, people were, uh, what was it, throwing rocks at uh, AMC's front door? It's funny, because, uh, you know, people are blaming trolls, too, for this whole situation. But really, it isn't about that. Is this Trolls World Tour? Yes. Is that what it is? Okay. I, that's the movie that got caught in the crossfires of this whole uh, situation. It did very well, if I'm not mistaken, right? On video on demand? It had mm-hmm. a, a positive reaction? It got a positive reaction and it made $77 million uh, just over VOD. But, you know, when you drop something on VOD, you don't have to split the cost with the movie, with the theaters. So uh, typically AMC or Regal, when you release a movie, they get 50% of the ticket sales and then the studio gets the other 50% of the ticket sales. But when they drop on VOD, that distribution is different. The studios get 80% of the profit and the websites gets 20. The $77 million is more than it typically would be for this movie. Okay. But uh, 
what happened was the CEO of Universal Studios released a statement essentially saying that company is going to start releasing movies on VOD while the movie is in theaters. Okay. And AMC came back hard, basically uh, reminding Universal, no, you can't do that. They pulled the big gun real quick. AMC said, if you release movies on VOD while your movies are in theaters, you will not be able to play Universal movie, movies in our theaters again. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty bold. Okay, so then, then what happened? My guess is the heads of Comcast came down hard on the CEO of Universal because he had to uh, go out and make a statement, essentially retracting what he said. So this is more of a reminder that this you can't release movies video on demand while there are films playing in theaters. But what's strange is the Academy changed their rules. Did I say? Oh, I you? saw that. Yeah. yeah. About the streaming. Well, it's interesting, but with the with the AMC thing because it's they said it was they were banning Universal movies. They said that they would ban Universal movies. That's the thing. Oh, okay, so that's the thing. It's, it's not been that, taken like, out of context. Well, that's how many headlines end up, you know what I mean? It's, you know, people say it's one thing and then it ends up being another. It's the sensationalization of the story. Honestly, AMC was in the right in this situation. Sure. In my opinion, because AMC is telling Universal what is in their contract already. Trying to, yeah. Because AMC has a contract with every movie studio that says if you release a movie in our theaters, you cannot release it on Blu-ray or VOD for, I think, 16 weeks upon initial release. Sure. And that makes sense because it says all the the headlines, because like one of the headlines, like I just, I'm just looking for the headline because one of the headlines is AMC theaters will no longer play Universal movies after Trolls World Tour uh, fight. Like that's the first headline that pops up. So obviously, uh, if what you're saying is accurate, as of right now, headlines have been taken out of context. They've been taken out of context. As of right now, they're not completely banned. They are just on very thin ice here. It's uh, it's very disrespectful. Very disrespectful. I I don't know. I was excited. I was like, maybe this will finally end the Fast and Furious franchise. It nothing will end the Fast and Furious franchise. We're gonna we're gonna do them. Oh no. We're gonna, we're gonna hit them up. Can I tell you? Um, can I tell you a secret? Something that's not going to get me a lot of fans. It's not going to be a podcast. secret. I already know what you're going to say. I have never seen a Fast and the Furious You've movie. You've never seen a single Fast and Furious. I movie. have not Steven, seen a single Fast and Furious movie. We've had many film conversations, but I can tell you for sure you're missing out on something. I'd like to take a deep dive. <clears throat> not now. Maybe, you know, some point in the future, I would probably need enough alcohol in me to really just say the right words but the way that that franchise progresses is unlike anything to ever uh you know you happen on, to, the, uh, on the on the on the screen you don't i'm have not to saying it's me. good i'm not saying it's bad i'm not saying you know i it's just a lot i i forget i like i said i have not seen any single one of them i just remember sitting in the imax theater about to watch i watch a movie i don't even remember what movie and on comes a trailer for the fast and furious movie the latest one and all of a sudden the rock is changing the position of a missile under ice with um, his bare muscles and i'm like this is fucking ridiculous that's the eighth one that's fast and furious eight okay 
I, yeah. <laughs> I just can't. Yeah, they uh they progressively keep, became they hit this happy medium at the fifth one, where it's like it's just ludicrous enough that it's like, you know, it's almost funny how crazy it is, but at the same time, it's it's grounded enough that it's an enjoyable action flick. And then after each after five, they just progressively try to jump the shark each time. So it's kind of like how can we get more and more ridiculous? And now all the fans on the internet are clamoring like when are when are they going to take it to outer space? You know, that's all. That's the next logical step. Of course, well, it happened for Jason, right? It's oh man, yeah. Jason went to space. He went there. I watched that one in quite some time. But we did. will go over those. We will get there. We will watch the Friday the Thirteenth films. I'm very I excited. I would for you rather to see watch the Friday and Thirteenth. I've seen the Friday the Thirteenth. We, but we haven't taken a deep dive. <laughs> when you take a, let me tell you, Stephen. When you take a deep dive into Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, yeah. Jason lives. Only then will you really understand the uh, impact of the Friday the Thirteenth. I feel like the Friday the 13th movies really know when to go crazy and when not to. Like, they, it's, yeah. It's they one don't of the rare... take themselves very seriously to begin with. Correct. And it's one of the rare franchises that it, uh, especially for horror, that it progressively gets better the sillier it gets. And as it goes on, like the more ridiculous it becomes, the more fun they become to watch. Because the first one almost kind of tr- takes itself a little seriously. Um, and it true. just, and they've said, the director has said he's kind of just like, um, lampooning like uh, what halloween did you know they just wanted to do a slasher that was going to make money and it was they, they've said it's like almost like a blatant ripoff it so when very friday much 13th, is a blatant ripoff absolutely and when so when friday the 13th part two hits it's kind of like it's a little crazier and then the part three and part four you know it just gets more and more silly so it's kind of it works the last year was a there was an actual friday the 13th on halloween um uh, i mean the month of october yeah 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 um and a Halloween, uh, sorry, a Friday the 13th movie was supposed to come out on that day. The studio came out and said that they couldn't crack the code to the script. I remember, I remember reading that. And I just went, bullshit. <laughs> that is like pure bullshit. How, yeah. the f- how can you not come up with a script for Friday the 13th? You it's, put kids it's in a camp and you kill them one it's, by one. It's formula. The kids party. They have to have sex. They have to be doing drugs. They have to be drinking alcohol. They have to be doing terrible things, and that warrants them being brutally murdered. Um, the, the most fascinating thing I heard was someone doing, they wanted to do a take on a Friday the 13th movie in the winter, and it would be Jason, uh, a very snowy kind of setting where Jason's killing people in the in, the, in a winter wonderland, if you will. It's definitely, you know? uh, what, what's that movie with the snowman? There was a movie called Jack Frost, a horror movie. Maybe and that's it, what I'm thinking about. And in block Blockbuster, there was a hollow, a hollow. It had a hologram case, and you walk past. He was a nice snowman. If you turned a little bit, he turned into an evil snowman. Funny enough, he shares the title with Jack Frost. The I think it's a Disney film. The Michael, Michael Keaton. One? Michael Keaton when he he dies and comes back as the boy's father in the form of a snowman. That's gotta be the worst choice right there you know you're gonna this is the age of the video <laughs> store here how many parents went into the video store and accidentally got the wrong one well the, the reason i mentioned the oh it, 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 it's it's inevitable and the reason i mentioned the blockbuster is because i remember being young and walking past and seeing them in alphabetical order and just seeing the two jack frost next to each other and i was like this is a recipe for disaster <laughs> <laughs> oh shit 
Remember um, Hollywood Video? Or did you I, go to Blockbuster? Was I went to both. Actually, by the end of days, I was going to find, I was clamoring for cheap DVDs because they were like, so I found, so funny enough, there were two Blockbusters standing on Long Island when they were all shutting down. There was one in, I think, Selden. And I don't know if the other one was in Hopog. I don't remember the towns. Quorum was one of them. And this was like, like no joke, this was like 2012, 2013. Like this was not that long ago. And they were selling like previously viewed DVDs for a dollar. So I would just go and clean them out. Like a lot of the DVDs I have in my collection are from Blockbuster's last days. That's but Hollywood saying. Video used to have the four for 20 bundle. You'd get four movies for 20 bucks. And I'm like, yo, that's a steal. And now yeah. we get uh, however many movies we want on Netflix for uh, what? 16 12? how much i don't six, even know anymore netflix i think is 16 or 17 a month but they're not even really? Jesus. uh netflix jumped up but i it's not even the, i feel like the, the the best titles out there are not on netflix like the ones that are on netflix the best movies are movies that everyone has seen so many times that is true you know what i mean like there's um they're starting to put all the tarantino movies on there um you know who has you know, a they, pretty good selection uh amazon prime they have a they do really good selection in terms of more like obscure or more art house or more indie or dark or whatever kind of cinema it's definitely more of a specific kind of uh breakdown for absolutely good streaming titles as far as our deep dives go and you know relating back to our current host or current topic um there was an article i read i actually meant to send it to you i think it was today i read it that it said like tenant is still slated for a July opening and they're hoping to exceed like whatever numbers they're saying. What's I don't know, we, man. You and I were joking about this on the first podcast, how it's not coming out that day. <laughs> I still don't think it's coming out that day. I think it, even if it does, fly. Yeah. And even if it does, I'm telling you, it's not going to make the $200 billion opening weekend it needs. Well, this is an interesting conversation that I don't want to take a deep dive into right now because we can we have we have time to flesh this out. But it's kind of like in this time, it's very strange, right? Because you're hearing about the beaches opening in Florida and places talking about opening up in in May and like, oh, we're going to lift this ban in June, whatever. But when theaters do come back, it's like I really don't think I, I think it's inevitable that we you you're not going to see an immediate bounce back. I think you're going to see a little bump where people are going to flock to the theaters because it's something to do it's like the same way that they're treating essential employers right now you know what mm -hmm. i mean like my like my job like people are flocking because it's they're bored but then i think what's going to happen is, is people are going to regardless if someone said tomorrow hey everything's fine whatever even in, you know with the world you know you can go back to normal i think people are still going to be take their precautionary space and i, I think completely that agree I really do think that even if people feel safe, there's still going to be a huge risk and numbers going out. And I think it's going to take a long time for, even if you, you, you take this giant scale of the virus and boil it down to just cinema, right? I think that it's going to take a long time for even cinemas to get back to their numbers, even with the biggest, best titles that they have. I completely agree. And That's wonderful. I really think what's going to end up happening is you're going to have to social distance theaters. So you're going to have an every other seat situation, which means right. at most you can have half capacity right. for your entire theater. Exactly. So it's going to defeat it, the purpose of having a theater open at all, because sure you can like give it back to the people, but like you're talking about box office numbers. Those are, those numbers are still going to hurt. You know, we're going to go back to, it may be um, a reversal of uh, 
what used to be, you know, like Avatar, what made Avatar the most successful movie of all time is not that it made 300, well, what used to be the most successful movie of all time until Endgame, but what made it so successful was not that it made $200 million opening weekend and that was the bulk of its money. What happened with Avatar was it made $60 million opening week. That's it. Yeah. And people told their friends, you should see this. And then the next weekend it made $75 million. It was worth And then it made $75 million again. And then it dropped a little, but it kept that, going. Yeah. And for, I think, two months, it just kept making tens of millions of dollars and, t- and it accumulated. Yeah. Um, it's Avatar's one of those. And there are there are a couple there are a few movies of even of recent memory that are like this that fall into that category of they spread so fast by word of mouth that for whatever it is be it the technology or just the experience and it, I mean ironically it's just the same thing with Titanic like I remember being a kid and like Titanic was an experience it was like everyone was going back to see that movie again and again you Titanic know Titanic was literally in theaters for eleven months it's That's crazy bananas. and. <laughs> Ultimately, if seating is the way that I'm suggesting every other seat and people are nervous to go back to the theaters because they're too crowded, we could be looking at that kind of situation again because if Tenet comes out on July 17th or what what day is it? July whatever. You know, it could be in theaters for months because people want to see it in the big screen. Right. So it's this big question of how to... how does everything bounce back once we reach that point? And I really don't see it being not successful. I just don't, I think, I think it will, no matter what, it will take a long time for everything to recover. You ready to get into the actual film memento? I was born ready. (laughs) Boom. Look at that. That's confidence right there. I'm as ready as I could ever be. When was the first time you watched Josh? So I had said last time when I was going through my, angsty late teenage phase of finding uh discovering edgy or dark cinema during i had a friend in high school who um having introduced me to films like donnie darko and requiem for a dream it was this age it's the age where people go oh i i love film i love deep psychological films and it's it's a very edgy emo kind of phase of film granted those are still great films, but it's a phase, it's certainly a phase that, you know, film goers go, every moviegoer experiences for I themselves. I feel like that's something of our generation, though, you know? I, I wonder I what kid, I'm, I'm going to make myself sound old now, but I wonder what, <laughs> I wonder what kids consider, like, a heady, crazy movie to watch in high school now. Like, I bet Inception is one of those movies. Oh, kids probably. Are like, Have you seen this old movie, Inception? It's <laughs> fucking crazy. But it's true. I think that's part of, I think that's a, a wonderful rite of passage between generations is people who experience film to just have this, like, transcendental moment where they're, like, very philosophical and they're, like, you know, a lot of stoner years. You see a lot in college and people will get really deep and they're like, yo, this movie's an experience, man. So my friend who i um had introduced me a lot of these films uh, a scanner darkly was one of them i don't know if you ever saw that it's a great movie which one a scanner darkly no um it's actually an animated movie it's it's live action shot but they put like drew cells over it keanu reeves is in it robert Downey jr is in it oh i know i i have not seen it but i know about it early 2000s oh well, actually it might have been mid-2000s very heady very psychological it's all about uh drugs that everyone takes this pill they're all the pill is part of society and <laughs> keanu and but, pills man 
but but then there's these like conspiracy theories that the pills make them act a certain way and it's it's really cool Woody Harrelson's in it it's cool because everyone's animated everyone's like hand drawn so but you can see the actors acted at first I don't know it's a very cool movie but um so it was during that phase that I had a, a buddy of mine introduce Memento to me and I almost was like it was almost too much for me to handle because of just I had never seen a narrative like it I can go into those feelings a little bit but um that was during that phase. And this is one of those movies that's just kind of held up for me in that same way that it did years ago. Um, because I, I tapped into that, obviously nostalgia or what, but I just tapped into those same feelings where I was like, yo, this is a, this is a deep experience, bro. You know, like I had a bro moment, a film bro moment, you know? Was that a, did you have the same feeling again this time? Um, well, I don't want to take away too much time from you, but it's, this was actually one of those movies. I don't know if you have this, I'm sure you have these feelings. I think we've talked about it where you're almost afraid to watch certain movies that you loved years ago because you're afraid you won't feel the same way that you did. This was actually the best, I think the best experience I had watching Memento ever was this last week I watched it. Really? Yeah, because like it didn't, I didn't have those giddy feelings of watching it the first time where I'm so taken aback by how the timelines come together, but I was more having like, just seen so many films and seen so much um, formula to go back to this one moment where I was like, wow, you really don't see movies like this. Even just the way it's cut. Like you just don't see movies like that in the mainstream. Like you, and cause this was, I guess you could say it's mainstream. It's his first big breakout movie, even though Batman Begins is what got him recognized. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know what it was. It was just like, I, I, I had such a fondness for the formula that I had not felt for a film. In, in, I can't remember the last movie I watched where I had that experience, that kind of experience. The Lighthouse, I guess, was the last time. Because oh, yeah. that's like something I'm like, oh, this is a very specific craft. It's shot a certain way. It's, it's you know, harking back to a certain time. And it, it was just a craft that you don't see in the mainstream. Like, but even calling Lighthouse mainstream, it feels, I mean, I don't know. I know it's popular, but, <laughs> but that's, that feeling with Memento was kind of like. But Memento um, and Lighthouse, I Maybe Lighthouse is one of those movies that kids in high school watch these days and are like, That's a good example. Yo, you have to <laughs> see this crazy narrative movie, man. Like you know? Two guys bond and there's so much jerking off and mermaids and it's crazy, man. <laughs> or Midsummer. Or Midsummer. That's I another actually, one. Uh, I, I mean, I don't mean to stray from conversation here, but a friend of mine who I never thought would watch Midsummer watched it and loved it i was like i was so happy my man josh you just need to tell me that you like my lobster <laughs> tell me just tell me you like my lobster i don't know if i can tell you i like your lobster Hark! <laughs> the, other Hark! Day, the other day i was um drinking heavily as i often do and i was just in such an obliterated state i was like i gotta watch clips from the lighthouse and i went to youtube and put on that monologue and right. I had such, Robin had fallen asleep and I was just sitting there nerding out by myself watching that man's speech. And I was like, this man was robbed of an Oscar. <laughs> we could talk all day about this. Tell me about your first experience with uh, Memento. When I lost my Memento virginity. Oh. It happened backwards. It was really weird. <laughs> the film was actually recommended to me by an ex. Uh, she had just watched it in her psychology class in high school. Apparently, the psychology community loves this movie. I can imagine. Um, well, we can get into it, but I mean, like the conditions and whatnot are, are a lot of it's legitimate. A lot it of it's is. very well researched. So, 
So the movie was recommended to me and, you know, I was in high school. I'd watch anything at that point. You know, I watched Tree of Life that same year. So I'll watch anything. <laughs> I'm just going to refrain my comments <laughs> before I uh, may offend someone, you know. We've already driven enough people away, I feel. Yeah, I shots fired on, Malik <laughs> on that one. Fuck okay, it. so this is, this is 2011, 2012? 2011-ish. I watched it for the first time and I was for the same reason as everyone else, I was taken aback because I had never seen a movie with this narrative style before, ever. Absolutely. And from that moment, I think I watched that movie after, like after I, the first time, I think I watched it one more time right after. I don't think I like took a break. Mm-hmm. I went right back into it. And then I rewatched it again the following weekend. You got to unravel it. And I did. And like you, very much like you. I hadn't watched it in years. You said it perfect. It's one of those movies. You don't know if it's as good as you remember it being. And for me, I, I'm sad to say I didn't love it as much as I that's, thought That's I understand, understandable. This movie is a masterpiece in its own right. I just found it, I don't know, so dour and dry. I don't know. So I'm going to just stop you right there for a second because I didn't mention, and this may be cheating, but I have the special actually i left it down here the special edition uh, dvd that i have it's got a second disc that can play the movie in chronological order if you unlock the codes so like these are like you have to unlock codes yeah so they do it like a psychological i'll let you borrow it if you want they live to a psychological test where it's like pick images to and it's supposed to look like a psychological psychological test but when you unlock a certain code you can unlock the chronological cut of the film so after i watched the movie you know, feeling like I had the best experience I did with it. I wanted to be sure, and I, I Googled how to do it, because I'm not going to start trying to figure out this puzzle. Watched the movie in chronological sequence, and oh. it that actually opened up. There's actually, a, I think, a version of it on Vimeo. I found it after. And actually, that's what solidified it for me. I watched it again right after in the chronological. That's interesting that it helped in the linear way. I feel like the whole reason that this movie is what it is is because of the way it is told. I almost prefer the chronological. It's not that I prefer the cut, like the cut of the movie works the way it does because of the structure. And I want to get into all of it, but um, having watched it in chronological, it makes the tone of um, Leonard's character a lot more dark because once you realize his intentions early on and how quickly it, it, it happens, because the whole thing, because it starts, because the, in, the, in the chronological cut, it's all the black and white scenes first in the hotel. Yeah. And and then it's, you know, um, and there's that first murder. And once you get to that point, you're like, oh, this guy's really fucked up. And then, but that's, <laughs> what makes you that, say that? <laughs> but that's, but that's like at the 30 minute mark. So you're still spending more than an hour with this guy after you already know in the chronological cut uh, to know like, wow, this guy's really just going through a spiral. And then all the characters you meet, you realize like, what assholes they are. Like I actually made a note of that yeah. the second time they, I watched it. Um, so did I. I didn't, I mean, I guess I, must have picked up on it back in the day, but I didn't realize how much of an asshole Teddy was. Uh, Teddy and even even Natalie. I mean, Natalie's got good inten- better intentions, no but way. even she does not. Not all at right, all. We'll get, all right, we'll get there. We'll get all into right. the plot later. Let's probably let's actually take a step back and talk about the name for a minute. Memento really has two meanings. The definition is an object kept as a reminder or a souvenir of a person or event. So that's brilliant in of itself because how does this man? know where he is at all times through objects you know oh i found a coaster i need to go to a bar 
Mm-hmm. I found I have this picture. This picture tells me not to trust this person, so yeah, I'm yeah. not going to trust them. And then the tattoos, of course. There's another way of looking at it, because in Latin, memento means remember. Just blew my mind, man. Whoa. All right. We can um, I did it. not know that the memento meant remember. In ancient Rome, when generals would march back through the capital after they've won a battle, someone would walk next to them saying memento mori, which means remember. I've heard that phrase. Yeah, memento mori, remember you are mortal. So it has a double meaning. Interesting that. It almost sounds like a Cobb in Inception with his memento, his, uh, his little Total. dreidel. <laughs> he got it up for his bar mitzvah oh my god i am that no, just no. blew my mind i'm just shocked that i have not seen some sort of like hanukkah riff on inception where someone <laughs> has like a dreidel as their totem how long will hanukkah last for and then it's just a picture it's just dun, a fr- it's a gif dun, of, dun, of the dun, 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 dun. <laughs> It's a gif of Cobb's totem about to collapse, but it's just a dreidel, and it's just constantly tilting the whole time. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Oh, God, it's been 10 years. It's been almost, God damn, that's, that makes me feel old. It's been almost 10 years since its inception. So Nolan said uh, about this movie, I think that film narrative has been held back by television. It comes down to what I call the pizza delivery scenario. If a pizza arrives while you're watching TV, you have to answer the door, deal with the man, and then be able to get straight back into the story, having missed three or four minutes. With Memento, on the other hand, if you come back in three minutes late, you miss the whole movie. That's Very about arrogant. right. <laughs> Very. So disrespectful. So disrespectful. And I, I don't know. I feel like it takes more than three or four minutes to get pizza and get back to the TV. Of course it does. But he's also very right. You know, you miss three minutes of this movie you're going to be like, what just happened? This is one of those rare movies where almost every frame, like every second of what's happening is genuinely crucial to what, what's going on. Not to give away what we're doing later, but this does fall in the category of a perfect film to me. Like what mm-hmm. my definition of a perfect film is. Yeah. Because my definition it is a movie where you cannot remove a single frame. It yeah. does exactly what it wants to do and it does it with the optimum time and precision that it needs. Sure. And that's exactly what it does. Cause even scenes like him in the hotel room, like it feels a little repetitive in the middle of him on the phone, or maybe the cuts are a lot shorter, but at the same time, like even just building the tension, reminding the audience, like he's here, he's talking to a person that we don't know. And you're constantly cutting back to the tattoos. It's almost like you really just, but you can't remove it. Like I'm thinking like, man, this movie, it didn't feel long, but at the same time, like it breezes by and you're like, where did the, I don't know, where did the time go? And then you're thinking like, even so you can't, I feel like you can't trim any of it. That's why I'm saying it is technically a perfect movie. Oh yeah, for sure. It's one of those rare ones, I would say, but. Let's get into a pre-production here. So we got a budget of $9 million and it ultimately made $39.7 million, which is pretty good considering it was a, considering it was an independent movie. He, um, yeah, I don't know what, how many eggs he put into that basket, but obviously he did well for himself. Uh, well for himself right from the beginning. Yeah, well, apparently it took a long time to get a studio to uh, back the movie. Ultimately, the studio that produced the film, New Market Films, mm-hmm. uh, did the distribution, but they didn't want to do the distribution. I would they like were to looking make a... for something bigger. And actually, not that 
we want to really harp on this, but Harvey Weinstein turned this movie down too. I would just like to make a note that you mentioned New Market. New Market presents. I'm going by my notes here. And I said, I made a personal note. I said, where is the old market? And then I said, thank you. I'm here all week. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-production. So John, the, this movie came about because Christopher Nolan's brother, Jonathan. First mention of Jonathan Nolan is this film, correct? Our first mention? Um, no, like, because like in following, I didn't see his name. Like maybe in the post credits, maybe he helped out. But this maybe. is the first name. This is the first time I think, because I made a note, I said first mention of Jonathan Nolan, because I think it's the first time his name has been mentioned in storytelling or writing or anything like that. I think he was an author before that, but this is the first creative. Cre- I think this is the creative collaboration he's made with, with Christopher Nolan. Yes, this was the first creative collaboration with his right. brother. Mm-hmm. They, uh, Jonathan was writing or wanted to write a story about a man who ha- could not make new memories and was looking for his wife's killer and couldn't come up with a way to tell the story. And uh, John and Chris, on a drive from Chicago to LA in 1996, talked this out and ultimately did two separate things with it. Chris obviously made the movie and Jonathan Nolan wrote a short story. And that's how they took the idea and split it up or? I don't know. I feel like it was kind of a dick move on Christopher Nolan's part. Well, because he took his his idea. He took the brother's idea. Yeah, but I it's mean, not- I'm quite sure his brother was like, "Yeah, go for it." But it's one of those things where it's like, "Yeah, but you." I don't know. It reminded me very much of Midsummer when Christian is like, "Hey, <laughs> I'm gonna be doing your report now. <laughs> I'm gonna be doing your report now. If you want, we could be co-authors because it's gonna be kind of embarrassing if we write two different versions of the same story." God, right I now. gotta tell you, we gotta we should do a whole thing on Midsummer. But that was the moment where I was like, "All right." you could just kill this motherfucker off. I don't think I'm going to miss him. <laughs> um, but real quick. So, cause Jonathan Nolan continued to work on films with Christopher Nolan in the future after this. Yes. He worked so obviously on Inception. They, he worked on Interstellar. He worked on, he's doing uh, Westworld now. So obviously, which I know you don't want to talk about, but we will talk about it at some point. Yeah, well, but no, I no. think that it, they obviously must've been on good terms eventually based on the division that you were talking about. Money. You know, Memento no. did well. And yeah, but if you're bitter towards someone, no amount of money is going to make... I mean, it'll make you play nice and get along. And for all we know, they may have a, a, a nasty relationship behind closed doors. But if they continue to work together... You're, I, I I'm, I'm creating a narrative that may not exist here. We're, going, we're going off a lot of tangents right now. It's all good. So the music, the music was done by David Julian. Was that the same guy who did following? I made yep. a note of that. Well. That man behind Roger Deakins is one of my favorite cinematographers. Wally Pfister was Nolan's boy for a little while. For a until while. They, I mean, I think they ended on good terms too because Nolan they were produced just doing different projects. Yeah. Wally's film, which was Oh my God, I forgot like, about that with Johnny Depp. Yikes. He, he should have just movie? stayed in a, yeah. as a cinematographer. Oh, so disrespectful, so but disrespectful. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, he literally shot some incredible films. Now, we could talk about production design for, like, I only have a couple little notes. Chris wanted the movie to look very blue. Is that really what he said? Yeah. The production designer said he wanted the film to have a very bluish hue. I, I, never, I never saw that. Really? I never. I, I picked up on it this time. His 
shirt is blue. The black and white has a very uh, cool texture. It's a uh, cool. It's a cool black and it's white. A cool yeah. black and white, and uh, the the abandoned house. The inside is very is. It has a very cool tint as well. The, I mean, where he kills the people. Hearing you say that, like I can pick up on it, but I never thought of it in the same sense that I did, like in the Dark Knight, where like that's just a blue movie with Batman. They wanted the location so bland that even the audience was disoriented watching the movie because mm-hmm. the audience watching the film goes, "Yeah, how do I describe this place? Just a very boring." neutral hotel room a very boring neutral restaurant i was just going to say is one of the notes i made is that there are more multiple hotel rooms or lobbies in this movie alone than like than i could ever remember like i don't remember there being that much hotel in the movie and i thought maybe at first it was a budget thing but going back going on what you just said like that's how it feels like it's almost like a way to try and confuse the audience like he wakes up in a hotel room and it's like well whose room is he in you know is he in his own room and then when he finds the gun in the the drawer it's like oh there are multiple hotel rooms in this film it's always keeping you questioning where is it that he is exactly yeah they wanted very bland locations where you're like i don't know where i am let alone where he is sure but uh you mentioned the hotel rooms before apparently uh PAs were sent around LA because they ultimately filmed in LA. They were sent around to like cheaper hotels and asked to go into rooms after people left the room, but before house cleaning could get to the room. <laughs> no. Good God. Can you imagine all the, oh, just the, the dirty sheets and the used napkins and the, oh, yeah, I'm all sure the they were sticky used surfaces. Too. <laughs> oh my God. That's. Oh, holy smokes. Yeah, no, that must have been a strange gig for anyone. The filming took place from September 7th to October 8th, 1999, which means they had 25 and a half days to film the entire movie. Really? That's a very quick shoot. I mean, granted, there's only, you know, three or four major characters. No, there's three major characters plus a couple extras. Yeah. Uh, But that's still between all the locations. I mean, even if you shoot in the same couple of hotels, that's like a lot of back and forth. And they only had, uh, what, Natalie. Carrie Ann Moss. Carrie Ann Moss. They only had her to film for the first week. Her and Teddy only had one day of crossover shooting. Which is interesting because when you watch it uh, (laughs) chronologically, you can almost see how they would have more limited time. The thing about what this movie brilliantly does is how they scatter those characters. You almost feel like they're right there the whole time. Like, you feel like either one of them can appear at any mo- any given moment. Yeah, Teddy had, like, magical abilities when watching this movie over again. I was like, yeah. how did you keep getting there? I, it's, it's it's incredible. He just appears. He's on the he's on the windshield. He's in the window. He's wherever. And he's, like, um, he's like the, the nosy neighbor. But, like, yeah, I don't know. He it's, even has the Flanders mustache. You know the scene where Teddy walks in, uh, when uh, Leonard walks into his car, and Teddy's just chilling in the passenger seat? Yes. Apparently... The actor who played Teddy, I'll find his name later, he came up with the idea of just sitting in the passenger seat but not telling Guy Pierce. So that so was genuine? It was a genuine shock when Guy Pierce walked into his car and was like, what is going on? There's a uh, lot of uh, interesting acting tidbits about this film, actually. Like, the actor who played uh, Sammy Jenkins, mm-hmm. uh, 
Sammy Jenkins. I've seen him in other things. He, he was in Community. He taught the class, Who is That's the Boss? That's right. Uh, I made a bit about um, Carrie Ann Moss and the guy who plays Teddy. Mm-hmm. Both in The Matrix. I was going to say, this, is, this would be the... I said, this is... Oh, based on the guy? Well, there's the guy from Batman Begins. The clerk that wears the drugs thug. Mm-hmm. I said, but with Trinity and Cypher, we are only two degrees away uh, of separation from Keanu Reeves. <laughs> but apparently Carrie and Moss gave Nolan the idea to hire Joe Pantolino, Pantolano, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, who played Teddy. Originally, he was not cast as Teddy. Dennis Leary was actually the original choice. Nolan didn't want to hire him as Teddy because he thought people would automatically assume he was the villain. Sure because of his previous roles. Nolan had some crazy ideas too. Uh, for the role of Leonard, there were some big names attached. Brad Pitt was attached. Charlie Sheen was attached. Thomas Jane and Aaron Eckhart. That's, oh, and apparently the guy who played Sammy had amnesia. Is that right? In, in real life. That's an interesting fact. Yeah, but another fun fact about Sammy, he had, Nolan gave him no script. Every line of his is improvised. Because the Sammy wanted, Jenkins character? Yeah, because he wanted Sammy Jenkins' character to be uh, like, what am I doing? Like, I don't know, <laughs> you know. I also noticed that the, ac- the actress who played his wife, not that anyone will care about this, I don't know her name, but that is B.B. from Frasier. Oh, is it really? It is. That's, the, that's Frasier's uh, agent. I would never have. I would never have known. Evie from Frasier. Harriet Sansom Harris, known for Adam's Family Values, Nurse Betty, Jet Li's The One, and Desperate Housewives. I've watched Adam's Family Values in years. Um, Robin and I make it a point to try and watch Adam's Family Values every Halloween slash or Thanksgiving. Isn't um, it? Yeah, it's more Thanksgiving, right? So there's a there's a specific Thanksgiving scene. Where they kids put on a the kids put on a play at the camp. Yeah, but why are they at camp in November? I don't get it. It's a sleepaway camp. Why are they putting on a Thanksgiving play at sleepaway it's a, camp? It's a sleepaway camp, and I think it's a summer camp. Um, That's what I'm saying, though. How? Where, <laughs> where's this timeline? Yeah, we're but we're getting a little sidetracked here. Let's, yeah, so uh, going from the holiday movies back to uh, the movie at hand. So uh, yeah, no mention of. Uh, Memento here, but that's Sammy Jenkins' wife, Phoebe from Frasier. And um, so that's, we're going through the cast, the characters, and the plot. We're three degrees of separation away from Keanu Reeves. And um, yeah, I'll let you, I don't know if you have a point where you were at. But. No, I was just thinking uh, now would be a good time to talk about the plot. But in order to discuss the plot in a easier way let i think uh let's do it chronologically because going back and forth is just gonna drive us both as mad as leonard is i guess it starts with the flashbacks that happen in the hotel black and white scenes uh-huh. with leonard as a uh not insurance wasn't yeah um, insurance uh, it was in fraud. His, um, insurance fraud right 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 that's right, because he, he was Sammy Jenkins. And he um, was assigned to Sammy Jenkins. I mean, correct. was he actually? I don't know. Mm. But that's technically where the story begins, with Sammy Jenkins. Have I ever told you about the story of Je- Sammy Jenkins, Josh? No, please. Tell me all, 
tell me about the story of Sammy Jenkins. We're in the line, man. You're supposed to say only every time I see you. I will say, I just yes. want to pause for a moment. I have a note here that I stood out to me. I told you I watched this movie chronological. I watched yeah. it back to back in, in in film order and then in chronological. The line he says, when he said, uh, Leonard says, he has this look of recognition, but he says he can't remember me at all. And I was like, not realizing in the original cut, but watching it in the chronological, it's almost like a, it's, it's, you really, once you know it, it's, Leonard never remembers the fact that he is Sammy. So it's kind of just a very, it's almost like a. Well, he's not Sammy. He's. Sammy was actually a fraudster. If we're to take what. uh, Um, What Teddy said. said. Right. Because what Teddy said was Sammy Jenkins was full of shit. Yeah. And that. Your wife was. Are the one who actually lost his memory. And. Your wife was the wife who had diabetes, and you were the one who gave her all the insulin that killed her. Right. But I mean, we're ju- we're we're going to jump ahead that way because that opens up the broader conversation of can Leonard make new memories then? Because um, if he remembers a wife dying, and he's just mixing up who the wife is, does that yeah. uh, clearly he can take in some new memories? There has to be a pattern. We'll get there, though. Keep going. We'll, yeah, we'll get there. Um, so it starts with the story of Sammy Jenkins, and then it would then go into Leonard's house being broken into. He's thrown against. He's thrown against the wall. His head starts bleeding, and he's forced to see his wife get brutally raped in front of his mm-hmm. own eyes. Now this is carried out by two people. And now we're going to cut to a couple of years later, or we don't actually even know how many years later, because there's even a point in the movie where Leonard is saying, I don't know how much time has passed. Yeah. How would he? Based on what Teddy says about finding the, the real John G a year ago, I think he says, um, it sounded like this was, must have been, the events prior must have been about a year, if not two, before when we actually see the timeline. The opening is him in the hotel room in the black and white sequences. And then they establish the Sammy Jenkins plot through his storytelling. So he it's almost like flashbacks through Leonard's account while he's on the phone with this stranger. But yeah, it, chronologically, it's the hotel room when he's on the phone. In and that black we and white find sequence. out later he is on the phone with Teddy. Because yes. Teddy is taunting him. That's what I was saying last time. You know, Te- Teddy is not a great guy. Everyone in this movie is a, a terrible person. Every like you want to, you want to believe Leonard is good, and he's, and we can get here, we can get there in a little bit. But he's, om- he's almost choosing to play the role of a bad person when he, you know. Oh, absolutely. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, next in the chronological order would be that Teddy and Leonard go to an abandoned house in the middle of nowhere. They go into the house and wait, and in walks who we later find out is Jimmy and Leonard kills him because Teddy has told Leonard that this is the man who killed and raped his wife. Mm -hmm. It was definitely not that person because after Leonard sees this guy and is like, what did I do? Teddy tells him like old Jimmy down there. He's not the right guy. He was to you. Come on, you got your revenge. Enjoy it while you still remember. What difference does it make whether he was your guy or not? 
It makes all the difference. Why? You're never gonna know. Yes, I will. No, you won't. I will. Somehow. I'll you know. won't remember. When it's done, I will know. It'll be different. Well, I thought so, too. In fact, I was sure of it, but you didn't. That's right. The real John G. I helped you find him over a year ago. He's already dead. So I helped you. Start looking again. Looking for the guy you already killed. Oh, yeah? So who was he? Just some guy. I mean, does it even matter who? No reason, Lenny. No conspiracy, just bad fucking luck. A couple of junkies too strung out to realize your wife didn't live alone. We don't have to take a deep dive, but maybe I missed it. Yep. Is there a clear intention as to why they chose Jimmy? Like, Teddy, like, was this Teddy's decision? Teddy is a cop, and he was undercover in whatever drug ring jimmy was working for and jimmy oh oh, okay jimmy was muling money so in the back of his car he had uh i think it was two hundred thousand dollars right so oh so so this is point of this movie for teddy is to get that car because he wants the money in the back of it and he wants to make sure that there is no evidence that him and Leonard were involved in the murder of Jimmy. Teddy was able to make Leonard think that Teddy, that uh, Jimmy was a John G. Correct, yeah. Which John G is the man that Teddy is looking for on one of his numerous tattoos that are on his body. The biggest one is on his chest that says- He wrote himself. Yeah, that he wrote himself. You're looking for John G. Leonard, uh, like we said, takes the clothing he take he takes jimmy's clothing he takes jimmy's car but before that him and teddy get into an argument at which point uh leonard writes down on the photograph of teddy do not believe his lies mm-hmm. in the chronological cut after he says uh wait where um now how did i get here mm-hmm. the next scene is him at the tattoo parlor in which that's where teddy catches up to him and that's when the reveal later um, in the original cut, that's where he reveals like, Hey, someone's been giving you phone calls. And, you know, Teddy realizes that his mind's about to reset. Um, but yeah, he's at the tattoo parlor um, where Teddy catches up with him. And then he ends up at the bar at Natalie's bar. Cause when she comes to the car. Yeah. Well, he finds in his pocket, because again, it's Jimmy's pocket. Correct. He finds a coaster for the bar that Natalie works at. And Natalie goes up to the car and is like, hey, Jimmy, because she thinks it's him. She's Natalie is Jimmy's girlfriend. And she sees the car and she sees the clothing and says, hey. (laughs) Now, at this point, can you imagine dating a person who dresses a specific way, drives a specific car, and seeing that car pull up to your restaurant where they probably frequently visit? looking bending down to this car and seeing in that person's clothes a total stranger (laughs) hello neighbor (laughs) hello neighbor yeah so leonard goes into the bar really like comprehending what is going on Mm because again Mm -hmm. he doesn't really understand what's going on and he sits down at the bar and natalie is starts questioning him Mm -hmm. and of course as he does with everyone he explains his uh condition 
which mm. I don't understand. You know, if I have that condition, I'm not telling people. People could take advantage of me if I tell them they have that. He does seem to, I guess, I guess it's his own way of coping when he's, because he doesn't realize how he gets to certain places. And there's certain dialogues about his opinions on it, but I guess it's the only way he can explain his behavior if enough time passes, you yeah, know? I guess. I guess he'd have to explain it to a degree. Like with like the clerk from Batman Begins, the thug, the where the drugs thug. Um, how he explains some sons of anarchy. Oh, that's right. Oh, I almost but, forgot uh, that. Almost forgot that was a show. But like to my point, immediately when he tells Natalie about his uh, condition, she tests whether it's true or not, and she she and the uh, other barfly spit in the drink she's about to serve Leonard, mm-hmm. which he then drinks. Yeah. Because he has no memory of people spitting in it. Yeah. Like clearly it's you tell people and they're willing to take advantage of well, you. Well, I think that's even what... the clerk at the hotel. He's tell he tells Leonard later on, yeah, you have like three rooms here. Yeah, and he but he and he's honest. He tells him he says, you know, and he I don't remember the line he says um uh well, you know, I whatever he says something like well thank you for being honest with me or whatever but um it just what this movie does is a small piece of what this movie does is it shows a testament to how shitty human beings can be to one another if they have the ability to take advantage of someone um and that's film that's film noir that's film noir 101 i mean that's the femme fatale that's the the villain that's whoever i mean that that's part of why this film works as a film noir because it's that the behaviors of not being able to really trust anybody or not knowing who you can trust or thinking you can trust one person and then you can't. So, and I think that's an early testament to Natalie's character and to the overall themes. Well, she's um, clearly a femme fatale because oh, 100%. back to the plot, we, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. Leonard ends up going to her house yep, and then to keep him under her clutches, she invites him to stay the night because she wants revenge for killing Jimmy. She doesn't know whether Leonard did it, but from what it seemed like, she knew Teddy did it because she's trying to get after Teddy. But she uses Dodd as the center, as the middle man. Exactly, the one, yeah. the one in the closet, the one with the tape over his mouth. What happened? What happened is that Jimmy went to meet some guy named Teddy. He took a lot of money with him and he never came back. Jimmy's partners think I set him up. I don't know if you know this, Teddy, or how well. Neither do I. Don't protect him. I'm not. Help me. How? Get rid of Dodd for me. What? Kill him. I'll pay you. Uh, uh, what do you think I am? I'm not going to kill someone for money. Well, no, but it's 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 interesting because and just to, just to continue what you're saying, but I'll let you I'll let you take it. But um, when she has that horrible moment where she's being a mega bitch and she's egging him on. And I had made a note, why are you egging him on, Natalie? He's, He's a fragile egging man. egging him on simply so he'll hit her. Don't talk about my wife. I can talk about whoever the fuck I want. I can say whatever I want and you won't remember. I can call your wife a fucking whore and we can still be friends. Calm down. Easy for you to say you can't get scared. You don't know how, you fucking idiot. Take it easy. This has nothing to do with me. Well, maybe it does. How the fuck would you know? You don't know a fucking thing. Exactly. Exactly. So Shane comes back. She says, um, he beat the shit out of me. And he was like, who? And she's like, who do you think? Dodd. He's like, I, she's like, I did exactly what you said. And she says, you know, she makes up this story. And that's the moment you realize that she's, you know. Um, no, I think uh, you realize from the spitting that she was... So now, correct me if I'm wrong. Dodd is the drug lord of, is that correct? He's involved in the, I think he's the, I feel like he's the supplier 
of the of Jimmy's be. Jimmy's drug ring because they they don't really explain him a, 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 they don't really explain him to a full degree but they explain enough that he's in uh, he's a shady dude and he's involved with drugs and that's why with the whole thing where he's chasing Leonard um and now he ends up in the hotel room and it's um yeah but th- he's got to be the connection he's I think he's the bridge between Natalie and Jimmy in terms of the drugs and then obviously if Teddy's assigned to the case then Teddy's involved in that ring as well well, Natalie gives Teddy up to um, Leonard through the uh, license plate that Leonard writes down on himself. Absolutely. So somehow Natalie knows who Teddy is, even though Teddy doesn't know that Natalie knows who he is. Exactly. Yep. Because there's even a line in the movie where Teddy is saying, yeah, Natalie doesn't know who I am. And he says to, in the car, he says not to, he says, you can't trust her. They both say the same thing about each other. He says, you know, you can't trust Natalie, write it down. And he writes, he writes the thing just to please Teddy. He writes something like, whatever. I don't remember what he writes. Don't believe her. She Something like that. But then he immediately crosses it out because he reads Teddy's card that says, do not believe his lies. Correct. Ultimately, they tied up Dodd and... Uh, Leonard and Teddy just let Dodd go into the wilderness, essentially. Right. They take him out to the middle of nowhere and are just I like, be free. Didn't You're free now, you know? Like, you open, you drive him up to the country and you open up the door and you're like, you're free now, you know? Like, yeah, you're it's free. literally like someone letting a dog go back, you know? Uh, the, the line from Wolf of Wall Street when he's talking about um, Jonah Hill. He's talking about, he's talking about how John, Jonah Hill, he's like, um, what is he, marries his cousin? Yeah. And he's if like, we oh, do he's... Have a, He's like, well, what if you have a kid? Wouldn't it come out like retarded? He's like, oh, we have two kids. And he's like, well, don't they, uh, he's like, what, if one comes out retarded? He's like, yeah, you know, just drive it up in the country and just open the door and be like, you know, you're free now. You know, you're free. <laughs> that's <laughs> the basic movie. That's an incredible movie. But, but, but what I, and just to, because I'm following the, the plot you're taught, that you're, you know, order you're doing it, but I didn't really understand. I guess you're not supposed to dwell on it, but like, how, what was the conversation there? They hold because they have because Teddy and, and Leonard have the conversation in the hotel. Like, what do we do? Hold a gun to his back and whatever. And they they devise a plan. But then all of a sudden, it cuts to the cars separating. Like they put him in a van and they he drives away and they get back in their car and then that's it. Like I guess they do they offer him money? Is it how is the guy I don't like think that? that they give him money? They're just offering him his life. You know, you're you're free. I I, I again like you. I don't really know. I guess it's because pretty vague. I guess because they beat him up, taped him, taped him up, and put him in a, a a closet, and they basically could have killed him. I guess it's that's enough of a threat to say that don't come looking for us because we have the ability to kill you. I yeah. I mean maybe that's what it is. I guess it's not important, but it's it's interesting in a way. It just cuts. He just kind of Dodd just kind of disappears. Um, this raises another question: Should should Leonard be driving? I feel like. Leonard a man in his condition should not be behind the any wheel. Any heavy machinery ever. <laughs> like they show they show him driving so many times, and I constantly am questioning: Should this man be driving? No, <laughs> because if you have that condition, how does he know where he's going? You you don't. He, I mean, he writes down directions, but that's not that's not enough. That's that's ludicrous. Well, that's why they keep when I I mean that I mean it's smart of, of Nolan and whoever you know wrote the the him or Jonathan who wrote the the tightness of the screenplays to keep calling back to the hotel. It's like he there are multiple in callbacks to this hotel and like he talks like well where's this place and like oh it's up here and it's like he had to write it down he had to like get a picture and so like 
I get it in that instance, but in general, it's like, I guess he just saw the tattoo shop or he just knows like, like that old, it's weird because the old building that he, they call back to where he killed um, Jimmy. Jimmy. Up to that point, he, he just rem- killed that, Jimmy. Yeah. But he, but when he, but he re- obviously kind of remembers the building because there's the line where he's with Leonard. Uh, he, Le- sorry, that Leonard's with Teddy and he's like, um, we're going to go this way. And he's like, why? He's like, I, I don't know. I just feel it. Like I'm paraphrasing, but he knows to go there. Well, what he says constantly about Sammy Jenkins is he should have been able to make new memories. I thought she was just trying to catch me off guard, so I didn't tell her what I really thought. But I never said that he was faking, just that his condition was mental, not physical. Which is why J- Sammy couldn't get insurance. Correct. But it does raise the question of how much can he remember and how does he have this ability to create new memories? And, you know, like you said, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But Well, we can jump ahead because... Yeah, let's just jump ahead to the very end here because ultimately things work out fine for Natalie. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of just leave her at a certain point not to come back. She gets a a revenge on, well, I don't know if it's a revenge on Dodd or that he's he's just a pawn in her plan to frame Teddy, but it's, like you said, it works out for her. Yeah, nothing really comes down on her. I mean, baby Dodd gets revenge. We don't, we don't know. But ultimately, Teddy and Leonard go back to that abandoned house, and Leonard kills Teddy. Yeah. And then destroys the evidence to the fact that he killed Teddy, decides ultimately to keep the cycle going because he finds his purpose in life is to hunt down John G. Yeah. It's a very, and it's very, it's a very dark, like I said, I, if you if you're ever inclined, you should watch the the cut chronologically. There's links to it online, but um, it's a very dark retelling of the story because it's really just once you realize um, in the chronological cut that he what the motive is. It's it's like by the thirty minute mark, like when you watch it chronologically. So really, the majority of this story is a guy who you already know took someone's identity, is basically caught up in this web of of betrayal and mistrust and lies ultimately just killing a man who really he's not a good person but he really didn't deserve to die and it's really just this manipulation of again taking advantage of someone in this condition just this man who's manipulated um just to create chaos and and violence you know yeah well it's kind of worse than that because not only is he manipulated by other people he's manipulating himself yeah, exactly. And he makes, that's why when he makes that choice, and that's why it's poignant that they, in the in the original cut that they have it at the very end, but for him to just choose, he, like I said, he's choosing to take, to be the bad guy. He's choosing, because you, you want to believe Leonard deep down is not a bad guy. He has, he has angry and justifiable intentions to get his vengeance, but he makes that conscious decision. I'm, you're going to be my new John G, you know, I'm going to be, you know, it's, he takes on this role to be a villain almost not even realizing it yeah well he can't technically like i don't know if he can realize it yeah but i think that the real the real ending is in one of the black and white flashbacks because i think the real ending is the sequence when you see that sammy is leonard because let's be real after leonard kills jimmy and teddy the police are gonna find him like, well, it's gonna, let's be real. It's, I think he's about to be institutionalized. It's it's gonna be it's gonna well 
what what I like is that it's ambiguous enough, as known it will later do, is be ambiguous sometimes. Is that um, there really there? Are, it's just speculation. You but either way, you know it can't end well for him because either he's going to forget that he killed Teddy. Someone will find Teddy's body, trace it back to him, and he'll be institutionalized. Or if Leonard's on the run, how long can he live this life realizing whatever, I, I mean, how many realizations is he going to have before he either r- runs away or kills himself or something? For, but that's you know what another I mean? thing. You know, he wrote down Teddy's license plate number. He got a tattoo of Teddy's license plate number. Right. He's made all these steps that lead directly to Teddy, who is now dead. His yeah. search is now going to be endless because yeah. Teddy is dead. And 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 everything his 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 car and his identity will be of a thing of the past. So it's like he'll be looking for a ghost almost. Yeah, but that's why I think ultimately this ends with the police finding him. Well, that's why I love the shot what you said about him becoming institutionalized. Is there's that shot of um, when he talks about Sammy Jenkins ultimately ending yeah, up in the ward. The scene I'm talking about that amazing shot where the whatever the nurse walks past and you see guy Pierce's face for a split second and then yep. cuts back. And I just love that. That's they, what I'm saying. I think yeah. that is the true ending of the movie because there's no way that a man with his condition can just disappear. The reason he got away with the murders he committed previously was because Teddy was on the police force and could cover up whatever. Was exactly. Being done. He was working with an undercover cop who can help pick up, you know, sweep up the, the pieces, you know? Oh, um, since we've gone through the plot, I'm just going to just go through a couple. Um, notable Nolan trope. Oh, yeah. Lenny remembering his wife when he's talking to Natalie in the diner. The flashbacks of, of his wife turning away before each cut, but you don't see her face, with this cut to the sunny backyard in their home is, to me, was very reminiscent of Cobb's memories of his children in Inception. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's good. It, I think it's it's just a, I just made little notes here, but because I thought it was interesting that he, Nolan in almost all of his movies, he has each of his protagonists or his characters holding onto a memory or a vision of something that represents a peaceful time of their life. There's this very I think it's interesting the way that he writes the beats of a traditional story. Um, spun in the narrative of the original cut like when Nat- in the hotel room when the, um, they're getting dressed and Natalie says will you remember me and Leonard shakes his head and um, she kisses him and says and she whispers like I think you will I'm like this is this carries I said this carries the presence of a very third act romantic moment between two characters who you think are like love interests and only for the plot to unravel backwards and you realize that oh this isn't really a true love interest at all this is but they make you think that's what it is you know yeah um I did make a note. I don't know if you caught it because I said it last time. Is that the clock from following makes an appearance in this film, and it's yeah. in and it's in Leonard's bedroom, the night of his wife's uh, when his his wife is attacked. Um, they're cut to the clock. I didn't notice it till towards the end of the movie, but that same clock is there. I thought that was cool. When Teddy's telling Leonard to um, when he's about to meet Jimmy, he says, "Make him beg." And I immediately thought of Falcone when he's like, <laughs> he's like, your father begged like a dog, you know? I thought it was like, you know, Nolan's just likes this idea of making people beg because it's... Beg like, like a dog. When Leonard shakes the photo of Jimmy, that's when the movie, when he's wait, shaking, as he's shaking the Polaroid, it's, the movie goes, transitions from black and white to color. Yeah. And I thought that that was just a cool visual representation. This idea of 
him because in a Polaroid, you know, you're shaking to, for the pictures, but clear. And as he's shaking it, the movie literally slowly fades from black and white to color. And I, I had, I had just forgotten about that. Um, the last note I made is that the relationship. Hear me out. The relationship between Leonard and Teddy is very reminiscent of DiCaprio and Mark Ruffalo's relationship in Shutter Island. Because oh, that's true. No, because what it's a, it, it's 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 following a routine they've done before where one man is insane and the other man is playing along trying to almost have the other character remember uh and i just it was weird because i had never made that kind of connection um that that's how it felt it's, it's obviously a much darker take on it i think but um mm, I, well i mean they're both pretty dark but um hot take, i'm dark, not a huge so. fan of uh, shutter island oh really yeah i think it's a relatively weak scorsese movie it's a i think it's a weaker scorsese movie but i still think it's a very captivating mystery thriller that's it the last note i made is um watch this film in chronological order wow everyone in this movie is a piece of shit that's the last last line i made (laughs) everyone's a piece of shit everyone Everyone is a piece of shit and it makes me really think that um um it really makes me wonder how cynical nolan at least at this point of his career really is as a person because he likes to focus as much as he's all about focus. Because starting with the Batman movies, really, he focuses a lot on this idea of the beacon of, of hope and whatever you want to say, like the idea of a, a hero holding on to what's compelling him. And same thing with Leonard. But at the same time, like this may be, I have to, you know, rewatch some other, well, when, when, when we rewatch, we'll get there. But I just, I feel like this might be his darkest movie in terms of like how cynical the tone of it is you know my, um, my i mean following was pretty dark too the end of that following movie. was dark um but maybe that shows how less cynical things have gone for him you know because well, that's, yeah he started out I, but that's kind of just like life you know as a 20 something year old you're like yeah everything's shit and then when you get older you're like i have to believe something is good you know all right i guess it's a good time to transition into uh our thoughts about the movie as a whole yes so why don't you go ahead and start um as i had said earlier um i this was my best experience watching this movie and i think watching it the original cut and chronological back to back helped um i really as i become older We've talked about this in you know in other conversations, but I'm I really am taken with films that are able to take their scope. We've actually we've talked about this when we work together that taking a smaller scope and just looking at characters um, often goes such a longer way. And for me, I'm like almost drawn to small a lot of smaller films these days than bigger films. And it's not that I'm not drawn to bigger films; it's just that they need to have a purpose. And this movie is so self-realized with purpose. It's just, it's, it's doing exactly what it wants to do. It's really, it's really toying between three characters. It is so zoned in on what it's trying to do that I just think it works. Um, I really strongly feel that this is one of his, his, I, I feel that this is one of his strongest pieces. I feel this is one of the most unique and fascinating works he's done to explore questions about you know whatever um like it's not like deep it's not like deep in the philosophical sense like um like even something like interstellar gets with using space and and time and and family and you know uniting all these themes but it's it's very self-realized and it's 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 just it's an exact vision so i i just 
I've respected it more this time than I ever have. So, which I thought was cool. I did not expect that. Here's the thing. I, I was kind of saying this earlier. I think like it, structurally, this is one of his strongest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying earlier, you cannot cut any moment from this film because it will unravel the rest of it all. But to me, it's just, I, I don't know. Maybe I found it a little too dour. I, I, it's not that it's a bad movie by any means. No, of course. It's, it's just a bunch of tricks that keep it together. It's kind of like a magic trick. And once you figure it out, it's not as entertaining as the first couple times you've seen it. So you're saying you feel like it's, this is the prestige. You feel like it's a literal magic trick. Kind of. The, it's a prestige. It's a prestige. Not the prestige. The thing is, the editing style is so vastly different. But it's one of those things where, like, once you figure out how the editing style works and once the pieces are all coming together and you know it, it's just not as captivating to me. The story doesn't, to me, the story in of itself is not as strong as some of his other works. The whole movie rides on the editing. This is one of those films that is, there. You, we can make a whole conversation about them, but of, of, category, of films in this category of ones that I would say is arguably in the same realm as like The Sixth Sense, where it relies on either... Uh, one or two like it relies on the element of surprise and it or it it relies on the element of twist and what happens is is the movie almost works because or the movie has the reputation it does because of that of said twist but uh i think that's a good way to end our conversation absolutely about and- memento itself now josh and i had noticed online that james gunn maybe about a week, week and a half ago, released this thing uh, on Twitter, his, what he called Five Perfect Films, which other filmmakers have kind of latched onto, in which James Gunn listed five films that he considers quote-unquote perfect. He listed Groundhog's Day, Blowout, Babe, After Hours, or Green Room, oh, which Green Room is amazing. I right? love Green Room. That is great. And then he also tweeted out an additional five where he said Back to the Future, Chinatown, Rashomon, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind, and The Thing. So he kind of cheated and gave 10. But <laughs> Josh and I are going to stick to our thought, what we consider our five perfect films. I want to clarify that what Stephen is saying is that these are films that we just random films because we both have realized we have compiled lists but these are five specific films that debating our uh, despite our feelings on them that we consider are perfect well what do you consider what is your definition of perfect like how did you pick this list um for me it was and I'm gonna try not make this a rant but it, for me it's it's all the elements that come together that are constantly captivating and engaging no matter how many times I watch the film and no matter how much I reflect on it and think about it, it is always held in the standard of the, of quality, the highest quality of writing, directing, acting. Um, I was, I was thinking about, I was trying to pick apart ideas in my mind, like, Oh, well, what about score and this and that? But there's a lot of movies that like work because and not because they have all those elements. So this isn't about some, this isn't more about the specifics, but more about how the combined elements create 
um, an experience that's beyond words and that's beyond that transcends um, the experience of movie going. And that's, good. that's just how I saw it. What about yourself? For me, it was a matter of, like you were saying, everyone is at the top of their game, actors, directing, uh, cinematography, everything is pitch perfect. But more than that, editing is quote unquote as perfect as it could get. There's not a sequence in a movie in the movie that I'm movies that I'm gonna list where you could take anything out. Because if you take anything out, it topples over. Like I was saying before, I would consider Memento a quote unquote perfect movie. It's not my favorite movie, but I would consider it a perfect movie. And that's the difference. That is the difference. Now that being said, I made a list of like twenty movies that I considered perfect and then picked my favorite of those 20 movies i kind of did the same thing because i the movies you'll 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 know as soon as i say them but like it's kind of just i feel attachment personal attachment to these films because of how they've made me feel mm-hmm. but i i will also defend the movies i'm about to say i'll they'll take them to the grave <laughs> all right go for it so in no particular order but this is the order i'm gonna say them in the shining uh robert eggers the witch um there will be blood uh, Mad Max Fury Road and Toy Story. <laughs> Dude, I actually rewatched Toy Story the other night. Um, and it is perfect. So I went with Raiders of the Lost Ark, Empire Strikes Back, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, F for Fake. Wow. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. I have. I watched it in a phone class. That movie blows my mind every single time the editing in that movie you that's what i'm saying you cut out one frame in that movie everything topples over (laughs) yeah that's that's good no that's good and go on and the last one would be uh what we do in the shadows the taika really movie i think that movie for a comedy is as perfect as it gets you you are it's nonstop laughter that but it's not it's more than laughter that movie's it's an incredible satire on vampire mythology while doing for film and horror and comedy what The Office did for television so well. It's the documentary, mockumentary style of taking your subject and milking it to its best potential from beginning to finish. All right. Yeah. So I think uh, this is a good way to end it. I think it's a good way to go out. Yeah, I think that that will conclude our... Uh episode of whose filmography is it anyway this has been a coverage of memento hope you enjoyed as always uh, you can find me at mr filmart on instagram and And as always you can find steven at mr filmart until otherwise there it is (laughs) josh will not succumb to the social media bug but until that time just Check out Steven's art. You know, man, you can buy some of his art. If you message him, you know, he'll, he'll sell it to you. And, but if you're going to share it, just make sure you give him credit. Because celebrities have shared his, this is a true story, that celebrities have shared his artwork and not given him credit. And that, that makes Steven a very mad Steven. No, they gave me credit. It just made me upset that they got more likes than me. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Steven is in for the likes. All right. You heard it here. This has been Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? See you next time.